Welcome to the CrocCast, Peace Studies Conversations convened by the Croc Institute for International Peace Studies at the University of Notre Dame, part of the Keough School of Global Affairs. I'm Erin Corcoran, Executive Director and Associate Teaching Professor here at the Croc Institute. As we sit down to record this conversation on Tuesday, September 7th, it's hard to believe that the 20th anniversary of the tragic events of September 11th, 2001 took place nearly 20 years ago. As they did for so many people and organizations around the world, the events of that day had a profound impact on the Kroc Institute and how we thought about our role as a global hub for peace studies. Today, I'm joined by three individuals who were involved with the Kroc Institute in various capacities in 2001. First, George Lopez, the Reverend Theodore M. Hesburgh, CSC, Professor Emeritus of Peace Studies. Welcome, George. Thanks so much, Erin. Next, we have Rashid Omar, Associate Teaching Professor and a 2001 graduate of the Institute's Master in International Peace Studies program. Welcome, Rashid. Thank you for having me, Erin. And Jerry Powers, the Director of Catholic Peacebuilding Studies and the Coordinator of the Catholic Peacebuilding Network. Welcome, Jerry. Good to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's great to have all of you here today with us. And I thought to start, I would wonder if each of you could tell us where you were when you heard the news on 9-11 and also what your connection to the Kroc Institute was at that time. I'll be happy to start. Thanks, Aaron. It was an interesting time for me because it was my first semester on leave in a very long time, having been at the Kroc Institute since 1986. And in fact, I was on my way to the airport to get on a plane to go to New York City just after the first plane had hit and listening to NPR and others as I got to the airport. And when I got to the airport, everything was closed down. I was actually on my way to the Carnegie Council for Ethics and International Affairs in New York for a one semester fellowship to talk about ethics in the new international order. And this happened and it changed my work there. And it certainly impacted my work later in the coming years for Croc. Great. Thanks, George. Rashid? It was very surreal for me. I just arrived in the United States as a graduate student in the master's program for peace studies at the Kroc Institute in August 2000. So on September 11, 2001, I'd just been in the United States for barely 13 months. And uh, I was just graduated. You know, at that time, our master's program was very intense. It was a, a, you know, a one-year program. So I just graduated and was appointed as a coordinator for, and you won't believe it, a program on religion, conflict, and peace building. And this thing happens, and it's as if the, the whole world is blowing up in my face. But deep, deep anguish, that's what I felt, especially as a Muslim, as an imam, you know, practicing imam in, back in South Africa, it was deep, deep anguish. I went to bed that night praying, praying that, you know, even though the evidence was already emerging that it was a group claiming to have affiliation with Islam, praying that it wasn't Muslims who had done this awful, awful, awful act. Of course, in the days, it became clear, you know, that it was Al-Qaeda and Osama bin Laden. And so there was really deep fear. I remember, I think George will remember a colleague of ours, you know, was a student of mine from Iran. And uh, he didn't feel comfortable going back to Iran at the time. And on the same day, uh, September 11, 2001, he had gone for an interview to Chicago. And of course, the, you know, the offices was closed. So he came back. He was uh, very, very afraid that he wouldn't even find a sanctuary 
in the United States as a result of that. I remember also we had a new cohort of students who just arrived early August. So they had barely been there for, for one month. And we, you know, just, uh, you know, stayed behind, had to provide some kind of solace and comfort. Yet our, we ourselves were feeling this, this deep anguish and, and I should say fear. Yeah, sure. Yeah. And Jerry, where were you at on 9-11 and what were you doing in your connection to Croc? I was in Washington, D.C., a couple miles from Capitol Hill at the Bishops' Conference, the U.S. Catholic Bishops' Conference. I was director of the Bishops' International Policy Committee. And we were very busy that day because the Bishops' Administrative Board, which is about 60 bishops who run the conference in between the general meetings, was meeting at the Bishops' Conference that day, and we had a busy agenda with them. I was in Washington, D.C., and I was watching TV like we were watching TV like everyone else, very afraid about what would come next and unclear about what was happening, but also afraid that about the planes that were still apparently approaching D.C. We kind of were very close to the center of it all, and, uh, and I had neighbors who were firefighters who went down to the Pentagon to work on to try to help put out the fire there. And of course, you had all the chaos in Washington, D.C. at the time. And my connection to Croc is I'm a graduate of Notre Dame Law and Theology. And since I graduated, I'd spent a lot of time working with the Croc Institute on the ethics of use of force, religion, and conflict, and other issues. Great. Thank you all. Rashid, you alluded a little bit to this about the students, but I was hoping that maybe you could talk a little bit more about what the student response was on campus here at Notre Dame and how did Croc Institute Master's students engage with the, with the news and sort of process the subsequent U.S. response together, if you could share a little bit about that. It's, as you know, I mean, at the, at the Croc Institute, we have this master's program where at the time in 2001, we had 20 students from all over the world. I mean, they could be in about two or three of them from the United States, but uh, the bulk of them, uh, you know, 16, 17, were from all over the world. I mean, and we'd never been in the United States before. So this, uh, as I said, I mean, the, I was there 13 months, but my some of my other colleagues had just arrived. They were fresh. They were kind of in their orientation program. I must say that one of the things that helped us a lot at the time is that of course, things are different now. We used to live together in a peace house, what we call the peace house. It was off campus, just along Notre Dame Avenue. And in the program was designed at the time also for students to, to, to actually you know, meet together regularly. So we lived together. I, of course, lived you know, a little bit on my own because I had my family. But we lived together and we met you know, once a week. And Heiner was very instrumental in that. And so, you know, shortly after, I think maybe two days later, we called a meeting. And of course, in our, we had, we had something called the common room where we used to meet. And so we discussed it. We provided some, uh, you know, Anne was very good in that sense, provided some guidelines as to how the university could uh, provide some, some resources for us if someone needed to speak to some, someone. And each one of us had an opportunity of sharing how we felt. So I think we found a lot of solace and comfort in each other and also in our professors. And as I said, I, all of this was coordinated by, by Anne Heine. But it was, it was a very difficult experience. I mean, it took a couple of weeks for us just to ground ourselves again and to feel, you know, because there was all of these reports 
about reprisal attacks, especially for those of us who, you know, were Muslims. Great. Thank you, Rashid, for sharing with that with us. So each of you, I think, were engaged in some way with advocacy during that season, from writing to taking high-level meetings to speaking at public events. And so I, I'd like you each to share a little bit about what that engagement looked like and the types of responses you were receiving. And Jerry, I'd like to start with you and your role with advocacy with the bishops, and if you could talk a little bit about your work there. Well, as director of the U.S. Bishops International Policy Office, I helped draft the the bishop's statements on 9-11 and then the Iraq intervention in 2003, which the Bush administration tied to 9-11. And so there are three key issues that uh, we were focused on. One was religion, conflict, and peace building. And that wasn't a new issue for the U.S. bishops. We had worked a lot on the former Yugoslavia, Northern Ireland, the Middle East, and elsewhere. And in the mid to late 1990s, as the Kroc Institute was becoming a leader on the topic of religion, conflict, and peace building. I and others at the Bishops Conference were increasingly in close dialogue with the Kroc Institute on the topic. And after 9-11, the Kroc Institute was especially helpful on these issues of religion and conflict, especially religious extremism. The second issue was the use of force against global terrorism. As with many others, this was a new issue for the bishops especially because this was a new kind of terrorism. It was a global terrorist network that was motivated by a contemporary form of holy war without limits. So it was a new kind of challenge that the U.S. bishops had not addressed. And it was clear that the usual security responses, containment, deterrence, and the like, would not be very effective against such an amorphous global network of terrorists. And it also seemed clear that the standard international law response to terrorism up to that time which was treated as a crime, not an act of war, also might not be suitable. And so we were faced with the issue of whether a standard just war analysis of U.S. military intervention in Afghanistan would be sufficient, or whether you needed a new kind of moral analysis to deal with this issue. And the Kroc Institute was one place I turned for help. I have to admit that I was not convinced that a a purely policing or peace-building approach would work, as some at the Kroc Institute were advocating. And the bishops ended up using a just war analysis to consider the military intervention in Iraq, not advocating for military intervention, but acknowledging that there is just cause for the international community to use limited force to defend against al-Qaeda and the Taliban, protect its Taliban protectors. And, and as they always did in statements on war, they raised serious concerns about probability success and proportionality of an intervention and insisted on abiding by the use and bellow criteria. So at least because failure to do so would be a boon to al-Qaeda, among other things. And then finally was preventive war in Iraq. The bishop's main concern after 9-11 was not the morality or immorality of military intervention in Afghanistan. Their biggest concern was that security would be defined so narrowly and mainly in military terms. And they advocated with many at the Kroc Institute in defining security much more broadly so that it looked at the roots of terrorism. And the over-reliance on military approach to security was evident in Iraq when the Bush administration promoted this really radical notion of the legitimacy of preventive war 
And the U.S. bishops had relied heavily on George Lopez and David Courtright's work on economic sanctions in their work on the Iraq embargo. So it was natural that we would continue to work together on Iraq, which we did. And, and one uh, concrete example of that was uh, George and I spent a week running up and down California in February 2003, about three weeks before the war started, speaking about Iraq to universities and parishes and like. And, and that was one part of what I think was the most organized local activity on an issue of war and peace, at least in the Catholic community, since the, the Bishop's Peace Pastoral 1983 on nuclear weapons. Great. Thanks so much, Jerry. And, you know, I want to turn now to George. Jerry alluded to him and then actually spoke directly about some of the work that they did. But one of the things that Jerry talked a little bit about was sort of the different views on sort of the, the immediate response that the U.S. government should be taking and sort of Jerry sort of teased out sort of how, where the bishops came out on, on there. But George, I wondered if you wanted to talk a little bit about what sort of you were advocating for and maybe if you want to elaborate sort of on the Iraq war as well. Yeah. And I was kind of trifurcated in that month of September and following October, November because of as I mentioned, being technically on leave from campus and based at the Carnegie Council in New York. Um, my work at the Carnegie Council, which was to help define an, a new ethics for the coming decade in international affairs, immediately zeroed in on 9-11. All of us at the council did that. And of course, you were based in New York, so it was very important to do that. And that started me thinking on a number of issues that I would write a lot for the council on, as well as a speaking tour that fall and continued the following year on what happened in the broader sense of challenges to ethics and war fighting and where were we going. Probably the most poignant dimension of that was by the end of the month, speaking at the famous 92nd Street Y to a crowd of 600 people, a panel of us, including Richard Falk and, and others talking about why New York, why the United States and under what conditions, some quite contentious and important issues that also came up here on campus. And my second experience, I think, of, of note was just the 48 hours of being delayed on campus, not being able to get to New York and the turn of so many local news stations and others to who they could find at Notre Dame who could speak to these issues and being on a variety of programs until uh, late in the morning and trying to help people in the community while we were all trying to learn exactly when, why, and how, how to process some of this. And that turned for me to lots of questions about ethics. And as Jerry mentioned, I was involved in this partly through an essay I'd written in America magazine, where I talked about the dynamic of being associated with a new kind of ethics. And one of my motivations in writing the article was being struck by Tom Friedman's column in the New York Times on September 13th, when he may have presaged the coming standard for looking at what was going to happen. He said, we have to fight the terrorists as if there were no rules and preserve our open society as if there were no terrorists. And I worried about the lack of ethical rules and whether or not international law and ethics at its best could be helpful rather than military force. That third stage of work led because David Courtright and I in our sanctions and security project had been deeply involved in the sanctions work of, of the UN when the UN passed Security Council Resolution 1373 by the end of the month. It was the largest case of global financial sanctions 
targeted against not only an organization and individuals assisting them that is targeted against al-Qaeda and nations and individuals that had assisted them, but it required all states, members of the UN, to develop structures for creating and administering targeted sanctions. And we were invited, in a sense, to look over the shoulder of the 1373 Committee on how this was working, how it might be improved, and ways in which targeted sanctions might literally cut the head of the beast off by starving it of funds. And some of that by three or four years later had actually worked for, with regard to Al-Qaeda, but it didn't solve the larger security dilemma of what had become the West versus Islam. And as Jerry said, the selection by the Bush administration that the logical extension of the global war on terror would be going to Iraq. And that raised its own questions for our research program at CROC because we had felt that we had pretty much proved that with the inspection system and the sanctions, most of the things you might find when you go into Iraq were remnants at best, that Saddam wasn't hiding nuclear weapons under his bed or that there weren't railroad cars moving chemical and biological weapons secretly across the country and that you had already won against Iraq. You didn't need war. Great. Thanks. Rashid, did you want to speak to some of the advocacy efforts you were involved with and some of the issues that you were working through during this time? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I want to speak about two issues. The one is, as I indicated earlier, that I just, you know, been appointed to this new program called the Program on Religion and Con uh, Conflict and Peacebuilding, uh, which was inspired by this wonderful seminal book that was written by our, uh, you know, then director, newly appointed director, um, Professor Scott Appleby, Religion, Violence and Reconciliation. And so, you know, we huddled together and, uh, you know, since I was the coordinator of this program and since I was the Muslim expert at the time, and we have a number of Muslim academics at campus today, 20 years ago, I was the only one in the croc. We had Professor Asma of Saruddin in the languages uh, program. So, you know, they wanted to know from me, I mean, you know, what do you make of this thing as a, as a Muslim? So it was very important for me to make the point. And of course, it was easy to convince my colleagues that Islam is not a monolithic entity like Christianity. It's a global religion. There are a diverse number of articulations, understandings, orientations uh, to Islam, often frequently uh, locked in a rivalry, each claiming to be the authentic privileged and orthodox, orthodox version of Islam. It was also important for me to indicate that this was uh, not the majority of Muslims. It was a small uh, group, but they had a disproportionate, a disproportionate influence within the house of Islam. How did that happen? It happened because, you know, unfortunately, uh, they were very adept at co-opting the media. So it's not by accident that the attacks happened in the middle of the day. They wanted it to happen like that, to have this, what is called demonstration effect. So, you know, um, to, to strike fear through that. So, you know, if someone was advocating peace, unfortunately, the media is not going to pick up that particular Muslim. But, you know, if you throw a stone at a church, it's going to make the front, front pages. So that, that was the first point to try to, and also it was important for us, and this is a very important point to understand, that of the 19 September 11th hijackers, not a single one of them came from Iraq or Afghanistan, but over half of them came from one single small little country, 
called Saudi Arabia. And that was the United States' biggest ally and also this kind of virulent, austere, rigid interpretation of Islam was in fact coming from that particular country. So it was no coincidence that more than half of the uh, attackers came from Saudi Arabia. Even Osama bin Laden and many of the you know, leaders within Al-Qaeda were in fact dissidents from Saudi Arabia would fled you know, during the war against the Soviet Union and then made their base in Afghanistan. So that was the first thing. The second thing is I was also linked to the local Muslim community. You know, we have a very vibrant Mishiana Islamic society. And so going to the mosque, I mean, I'd been going to the mosque every week, so, and it was very tough for us to go to the mosque. But one of the wonderful things that really uh, needs to be mentioned is what I call a counterintuitive reality. Out of this awful, awful terrorist attack came also the best of humanity, people down deep and compassion. So when we came to the mosque, you know, we had our Christian neighbors coming there, bringing flowers, telling us that, look, we know you neighbors, we've been living with you for a long time, and we know that you are not the same as these terrorists. So it was very kind of comforting to find that. And it was not only in South Bend, Indiana, the small little South, across the United States, interreligious, interfaith programs began to emerge as the dust began to settle and people began to look at the reality and you know, discovered that we needed to work even more and even harder for peace within you know, the United States. And that, I think, also helped with this new program on religion, conflict, and peace building. So the peace building dimension. The last thing I want to say is that I just come from South Africa, as I said, I was just in the United States for 13 months. You know, during the anti-apartheid struggle, I, you know, I was uh, very much involved in that. We had a concept which actually comes from the Old Testament called a kairos moment. Kairos is a Greek word, which means a moment of crisis, but it also means a moment of opportunity. So we also saw those months, you know, after September the 11th as an opportunity for us to kind of, you know, dig deep and to look at new ways at doing peace building. Great. Thank you so much, Rashid. I want to turn a little bit back. So you, you sort of talked about your the response in the local community, as well as sort of some of the larger conversations within the Muslim community. Jerry, I was wondering if you could speak a little bit about the Catholic Church's response to 9-11, sort of from where you were at? Well, I, as I mentioned, the, the first response was pastoral. The bishops were involved and some bishops were involved in the service at the National Cathedral, which occurred a day or two after 9-11. There were high-level meetings with Muslim leaders in the United States within a week or two of 9-11, and, you know, and then there was the pastoral response in, you know, New York, Washington, D.C., Pittsburgh, and elsewhere, dealing directly with the, the victims of the violence. The second response was to focus as on the, the role of religion and how to, how to address the religious question, and, and that's where the Kroc Institute has, is now one of the world's leaders and has long been, and the bishops before 9-11, after 9-11, and since, have tried to focus on both dealing with the, the negative role of religion and world affairs. It's unfortunately true that the religion sometimes is a cause of division and violence, but also highlighting the positive role 
that religion plays, which often got lost after 9-11, when there was really almost an exclusive focus on, on, on the negative role of religion and, and within that, an almost exclusive focus on Islam as the problem. I mean, the, so the bishops before 9-11 and since 9-11 spent a lot of time addressing, trying to have get the U.S. forward policy apparatus and others involved in this question to take a more nuanced and sophisticated view of the role of religion in world affairs. And then the third is the question of the use of military force. And, and again, the, the bishops said that force, there was just cause for force after 9-11 in Afghanistan, but raised other concerns, just war concerns about probably success in life. Then the bishops opposed intervention in Iraq because mainly because it was justified in part by this really radical notion of the legitimacy of preventive war. And there's a lot of mobilization around the Iraq war in particular against the Iraq war in the capital community. Great, thanks. And I was hoping, George, maybe you could talk a little bit about how these positions that were taken by the Catholic Church had an impact on the University of Notre Dame, you know, a Catholic institution here on campus. If you could speak to that. Sure. Scott Appleby did a great job as director of the Kroc Institute organizing in the second or third night after the terrible attacks, a big forum, a campus-wide forum where we had an overflow of students in the largest auditorium we had available at the time in DeBartolo Center. I think Rashid will remember this uh, as well. And a number of us served on the panel and we gave some introductory remarks. We must have gone on for an hour and a half of question and answer after. Some of the questions did focus on what's the appropriate Catholic response. Some of them also focused on military logistics and the like. I think this was one of those moments, uh, maybe it's a Kairos moment, as you mentioned, Rashid, where you're keenly aware that Notre Dame is the largest post-Cold War ROTC program at American universities. We have all the service branches. We have them in large numbers. One out of every six point something students in 2001 is a member of ROTC. And so a lot of the questions back and forth was very much about not only just war issues, even of conscientious objection. And it was wide ranging in mixing political and military action with questions of faith. I remember some really important and poignant questions where I was taking some positions that weren't popular about response and maybe a more restrained military response for particular reasons. And one young faculty person asked the question whether or not in hearing me, hardworking Catholic parents who sent their children to Notre Dame should be hearing from professors that our response to this Pearl Harbor should be anything but maximum. And that demanded, it seemed to me, a logistical and a theological kind of answer. But that was typical of the discussion I think we had. It began there and it continued not only for the rest of the year, but in in my own case, I created the following fall, a course called Terrorism, Peace, and Other Inconsistencies, where I thought these things could emerge. There was certainly a literature and praxis emerging. There was the march to the Iraq war. That course in 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 its very first session had 176 students flowing out of the auditorium in the library at the time. And it remained for over a decade, a pretty popular course. I learned later that students nicknamed it TPI as a quick way to identify the course. And there was some marvelous discussions and I think some launching of careers in various forms uh, from from that course and certainly from others offered by Croc. Great. Thanks for sharing sort of the Croc's response as well as sort of university 
in student engagement with that response. Rashid, I don't know, as someone who was newer on campus and a recent graduate of the program, if you also wanted to share some, and also a new director of this program, your thoughts are sort of on Croc's response or, or the reaction to Croc's response or just help paint a picture of sort of what was going on on campus at Notre Dame. Yeah, I think that, you know, um, I felt very safe in the Kroc Institute. I mean, you know, we, we because, you know, of the nature of the Kroc Institute, we, uh, we were, you know, not as large as we are today. We were a small little family. And so I, I felt very much supported as a Muslim, you know, as part of the, the Kroc faculty and so on. And as George indicated, we had some wonderful programs. And particularly, I want to point out, even though there was robust debate and there were diverse perspectives, I think for me, what stood out and what, in, what was very encouraging is that young undergraduate students, in fact, were grappling with these issues and were very creative in their response as far as peace is concerned. So that gave me a lot of hope. As George indicated, I mean, young people responded positively. They wanted to know more. They were curious about this. And that gave me hope. And even in the classrooms and in the lectures that we had, the kinds of questions that emerged was a clear indication that people were thinking deeply. So it was not merely a response of, um, as we saw, war in, in Afghanistan, war in Iraq, but also deep introspection as to U.S. foreign policy and the asking of difficult questions. If I remember, George maybe want to mention a little bit about this. George then dragged me in a couple of years later when we were looking at, uh, you know, students who were interested in studying at Notre Dame. And for some years, I think um, I taught part of this global studies program. You know, and people, young students who just graduated from high school were very, very interested in understanding this about Islam. And in fact, as I said, they were very curious and they were very, very committed to peace. Maybe, George, you want to mention about this global studies program? Yeah. And just just before you went into that, it's exactly what popped into my head, Rashid, is uh we had created the Global Issues Program in the summer of 98 as a vehicle for the admissions office to identify a high-performance academic Catholic involvement and various other things of students and attract them to Notre Dame. And I think the willingness of the admissions office, the university as a whole, to help us change that week-long experience where 40 students live together confronting these issues on campus rather than hop around to different global issues, which what we did the first four years. By the summer of 2002, there's Rashid and I together talking about spending a week about Islam and the West, religion, politics, society, culture, and their engagement in this was, was just outstanding. But the willingness of the university to trust this approach as a recruitment device not only yielded some great students, but I think it spoke to the willingness of Notre Dame to say, we are vulnerable, but participatory and engaged in the public square, as it should be for Catholic thinking in America. So I was hoping that some of you, all of you could comment or reflect upon how the events of 9-11 and sort of the responses to these events have changed the field of peace studies. And sort of how, in what ways has it been transformative? If you just sort of comment on that, that would be great. I think it partly depended on where the academic program at colleges and universities or the research had been to start with in peace studies. If it was a program and, and the thinking was about peace and conflict studies, then the conflict studies dimension of what terrorism brought as a challenge to peace 
that became the focal point of, of many. If it was a peace and justice studies program or research, it focused on competing concepts of justice in either religious dimensions or what justice is due to people who engage in terrorism or what's the concept of justice in terrorism and how do we process that. If you were a program that believed strongly in reconciliation as the central message of peace, then there was a lot new thinking about how we do reconciliation. I'd say by five or six years after 9-11, peace research had made a significant contribution to the way that governments and, and the wider body of political thinking considered what was going on is that the real issue was political extremism and whether or not political extremism in societies in some cases was mobilized to terrorism, but in other societies was expressed different ways, maybe even at the ballot box. And then that led us to a focus on what leads to political extremism, particularly the structural factors of underemployment, maldevelopment, prejudice, maybe even dictatorial rule, driving groups and minority interests to this form of political expression because all other doors are closed to them. So by the mid to late 2000s, we were looking at the structural, economic, sociocultural, and religious dimensions of violent extremism and trying to tackle that as a central problem of establishing peace with justice. I think for, uh, from my point of view, if you look at the peace studies in the post-Cold War era in the early 90s, there was a shift in the locus of conflict from interstate wars to intrastate wars. There was uh, the war in the Balkans, uh, you know, genocide in Rwanda. So identity conflicts, culture and religion became an important phenomenon in the 90s. And 2001, in fact, just reaffirmed that position. And in fact, religion became an important part of the analysis of, of, of understanding conflict. What at the Kroc Institute, we had, I think, an advantage is Whereas before, political scientists, you know, religion and conflict wasn't much on the radar screen. Now they were reducing everything to religion and particularly Islam. Whereas we said that it should be one of an important variable amidst a complex of variables, but also, and this is where we had a very strategic advantage. We had just started with the program on religion, conflict, and peace building, that religion also had a peace building potential. And we need, to, we need to look and to dig and to mine that, you know, peace building potential of religion to contribute towards healing, towards reconciliation, and towards finding solutions for this fairly new problem of global terrorism. Yes, I, I agree with that. The identity conflicts focus a lot more attention on the need to be literate about the role of religion in world affairs. And the Kroc Institute, since 9-11, has really played a major role. The Chicago Council on World Affairs did a major project that the Kroc Institute helped lead on, on the role of religion and U.S. foreign policy. And the Kroc, members of the Kroc Institute were also deeply involved in State Department committees that were established to look more deeply at the role of religion in conflict and peace building in the 2000s and 2010s. And, you know, part of the message was to look at both the positive and negative roles of religion, not just negative role, but also, as Rashid mentioned, to really understand particular religious actors, to go take a deep dive into sort of single identity peace building, if you will, 
And that's why the Crack Institute started the Catholic Peace Bully Network starting in 2002, and it was formalized in 2004. It's just one of many efforts that the Crack Institute has made to really go deep and understand from within different religious traditions, religious actors, the role they play, both positive and negative, in contributing to conflict and also promoting peace. I think there are also two foreign policy lessons that we've learned since 9-11. And one is that there's a difference between the ethics of intervention and the ethics of exit. While it was, I would argue, is immoral to intervene in Iraq, once the United States voluntarily did that, it was an optional war, as many have called it, it became an occupying force de jure and then de facto. And so the U.S. had taken on voluntarily new responsibilities to promote the common good, not just of the United States, but of the Iraqi people. And the same was true in Afghanistan. But unfortunately, in many ways, Afghanistan was a victim of the Iraq intervention because the U.S. diverted its attention and resources to Iraq, and that contributed to the failure to meet its responsibilities toward the Afghan people. And so if the United States had taken seriously its responsibilities toward the Afghan and Iraqi people, one thing that we would have done much more than we did was given much greater priority to a peace-building approach, the kind of approach that you learn in peace studies and the Kroc Institute has long advocated. And a peace-building approach post-intervention in both cases, I think, would have made a big difference and might have might have saved us from the failure in those two cases that we are now experiencing. The, the second lesson about foreign policy is Brooks and Wolforth, uh, an author, said back in the, uh, right after 9-11 that paradoxically the attacks on 9-11 and their aftermath give the United States a new sense of vulnerability. And that sense of vulnerability is still strong in our foreign policy and our politics, yet also affirmed U.S. global dominance. And that led to that combination of U.S. vulnerability and U.S. primacy reinforced tendencies toward a muscular unilateralism in U.S. foreign policy. I think Iraq, Syria, and Afghanistan have proven the moral bankruptcy of that muscular unilateralism, which is grounded in a U.S. exceptionalism. And hopefully we've learned that lesson and we can take a less exceptionalist approach to our role in international affairs and less muscular approach. And before we sort of wrap this up, I, there was one more thing I was hoping you could comment on, Jerry, and that is sort of how, if all these events change Catholic Church's thinking about its peace witness. I think the Catholic Church is much more focused on what some would call a just peace. Others focus on the nonviolence, and I would call a peace building approach to international affairs. We, the Church has long focused on the ethics of of war and peace, but now the church is much more focused on the ethics of peace building. And it's always been focused on both, but I think there's much more emphasis on the peace building now than there was when I got to the Bishop's Conference in 1987. Great, thanks. And as we wrap up things, I know we've already started to talk a little bit about how these events have changed sort of the work of peace building as well as some of the projects and intellectual endeavors of the Kroc Institute. But as we are looking at our 35th anniversary of the Kroc Institute, I was hoping if there's any concluding remarks any of you want to make about how you think Kroc sort of changed fundamentally or structurally in response to these events um, going forward. Well, one thing I'll point out is the success of young 
Abdul Omar Rashid uh, with the program he was in his first year of uh, 2001-2 and how he helped blossom that program. And then Kroc and the university responded dramatically in a way in which, as Jerry said, we're not only a premier institute with regard to religion, violence, peace building, but also we have 20 years of Rashid going back and forth, which is not only remarkable in terms of the student experience at Notre Dame for having an imam in the classroom, but also his continued commitment to the Islamic community here in town and the embrace of folks at the mosque locally for when he comes. And then at difficult times, like we had, for example, in 2017 with the mandate of no travel from Muslim countries. Rashid steps to the fore and helps interpret for this town-gown relationship what right thinking is of this kind of thing. And so I, I see that as a remarkable local global connection that we've been able to make that is, for me, peace building and peace studies at its best. I think I would like just to mention you know, that the dream of the late father, Ted Hesberg, has come true. He dreamed at the time, and people thought he was crazy, that Notre Dame and the Kroc Institute should be a place where not only Catholics could think, but you know, Muslims from all over the world could come and think, rethink how to resolve some of the major challenges. And of course, the Kroc Institute now has become that. We've grown, as I said at the time, I was the only Muslim in the Kroc Institute. I think we maybe have more than a half a dozen Muslim faculty members. I mean, we've, grow, we've got the Ansari Institute and, and so on, which is really wonderful. But, you know, one thing that I, I usually say this, I like to say this in the Muslim world, I would say to my co-religionists in other parts of the world that I am a, a Muslim imam. And for me, one of the litmus tests of whether we are doing well in terms of peace building in a Muslim majority context is if you can find a Catholic priest who is at home in an Islamic university as much as I am a, a Muslim imam at home at the University of Notre Dame and at the Kroc Institute. So this has really been a wonderful journey in my life and I'm deeply, deeply grateful to the University of Notre Dame and especially to this, you know, this part of his legacy. There's lots of things that have been mentioned about Father Ted Esberg. But very little is known about this part of his legacy, that he believed that Notre Dame should be a place where also Muslim thinkers come with creative solutions to the challenges, the unique challenges facing this particular faith. I would uh, concur with that. There really aren't very many other places where you can find people who are motivated by an expert in their own faith traditions who are all working on peace building from that wide variety of uh, different religious perspectives and and other perspectives. And and this, both the growth of the Kroc Institute and the Kroc Institute's integration into the new School of Global Affairs has allowed it to address the many dimensions of peace building in ways that it couldn't before, simply because we now have the size and the, the breadth of expertise that we couldn't have when we were a smaller institute of the kind as it was when I arrived in 2004. And so I, I think we're much capable, more capable now as, a, as a, an institute and part of this wider school to deal with all the dimensions and complexities of 
of conflict and peace building than we were before. Well, thanks to each one of you for joining this conversation today and sharing with us your reflections and ideas of sort of how these events actually were transformative and provided some, a new way for us to understand peace building in the world. Thank you very much. You've been listening to the CrocCast. Peace Studies Conversations convened by the University of Notre Dame's Croc Institute for International Peace Studies, part of the Keough School of Global Affairs. Note that the Kroc Institute is currently co-sponsoring, along with the Keough School, a series of three virtual events focused on the 20th anniversary of the attacks on September 11th. You can learn more about these events at go.nd.edu slash keosept, that's S-E-P-T, 11. You can also find all episodes of the CrocCast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, and online at croc.nd.edu slash podcast. It also helps us if you rate and review our podcast to help more people find our show. For more updates, stories, and videos from the Croc Institute, follow us online on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Thanks for listening.